This podcast is intended for listeners that are 18 years or older. Explicit language, sensitive content, and views that are objectionable to some listeners may be present in the podcast. As such, listener discretion is strongly advised. Please read our podcast terms and conditions before listening to Up the Rabbit Hole. Welcome back to Up the Rabbit Hole with a sex therapist, Dr. Corey Rushka, and I have my lovely assistant, Brandy Enns, here. And, and we have our new topic, which is LGBTQ plus issues, and we have our guest today, which is Dr. Robert Ruffley. Hello. Since the topic today is the LGBTQ+, why don't I start with my joke of the day, and then we can kind of go into a little defining of what those terms mean, because I think a lot of people may not know what those specifically are. Okay, so what do you call the lesbian version of a cock block? <laughs> oh, no. A beaver dam. Oh. oh. <laughs> I was going to say something to do with labia, but I guess that was wrong. No, no. I so, okay. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, we'll get into that, Rob. We'll let, we'll let you explain kind of your whole side. So why don't we start a little bit of the definition of what is LGBTQ plus and what does the plus stand for? And then I know there's a whole bunch of other terms after this. So who wants to take a crack at this one? We're going to let the, the, the delightful Dr. Ruffley lead this one. Well, you're, you're going back to way back when, when it was LGB. And so, so my understanding is there's, there's a vast array of intersectionalities present. So often, whether I agree with it or not, it's often short form to be lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, questioning, plus, plus, plus. And I think what's beautiful about this is it is inclusive in many ways, but I would invite us to add an extra T to include two-spiritedness for our Indigenous persons in terms of identity and recognition. I think, yeah, some of the other ones that I've seen were like they added in the IPTAA and those dynamics. And those typically, from my understanding, would be, as you mentioned, there's the questioning, there's the intersex, there's the pansexual, the two-spirited, androgynous, and even asexual have been put into that cluster to help kind of package uh, a whole bunch of those kind of lenses or, or kind of areas being covered. And I think, I think partially the intention is to be inclusive, but as identity is, is fluid in so many contexts, we need to be open for new identities to surface or new, new voices to be heard. So Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and, you know, give us a little bit about your background so that we can give a bit of a context regarding this topic. Okay, well, first and foremost, I'm a queer man, and I come to the field of counseling psychology based on my earlier years as a client, where the physician at the time felt it appropriate to engage in sexual reorientation or reparation therapy. We know to date, and we've known for a while, is unethical and likely, if not highly likely, to cause harm. And we know this from the research. So I, I started my, my career in music education and ended up in counseling psychology. And I completed my PhD at the University of Calgary, where my dissertation was on gay fatherhood. So you have a lot of not only, you know, professional experience, but life personal experience in this whole area. Yes. And my, my current practice is in sex therapy, largely with 
the LGBTQ plus or LGBTQ plus. Sweet. So maybe why don't we start off with some of the good questions that some of the audience members have kind of sent in and then expand on some of this. Brandy. Fantastic. It's my favorite part. All right. Question one. Fine, sirs. All my life, I was labeling myself as heterosexual. However, four weeks ago, I suddenly bumped into this person who is 22 years older than me, gay, and has a golden heart. After being in a great solid friendship with him, I came to realize that I had some awkward feelings for him. Now I am terrified. What should I do? Rob, this is a great opportunity for you to start. So when I read this question, I really do feel for this person in many ways, because there's a variety of different things that I think should be highlighted. Again, not a ton of background information, but some really important pieces here. And I want to start by saying that historically there was this belief in the research that our sexual orientations were determined in adolescence. And we know now that sexual orientation is, is fluid and part of our own, our own journeys. So where I'm standing in here is around the awkward feelings and the fact that this person feels terrified. Now, are the feelings sexual? Are they romantic? Are they friendly? And I think what really needs to be highlighted here is that we rob young boys and men of intimacy, friendship, connection with other men. And I'm wondering if this might be a little bit about toxic masculinity and that we can have affection for friends without it meaning that we are queer men or gay, fluid, pan men. And I think what's really important here is that feeling terrified of something new is actually quite a common experience. And it's usually a signal that there's something to explore. And so what should I do? This is always an interesting question. I would say remain curious, but I think what's really more important is that there's opportunity here for discussion without overly focusing on labels. And it sounds to me like the friend who's older and who identifies as gay and has a golden heart has a lot to offer, if at minimum friendship. And if this person has been out for a period of time, I would argue that he might be likely to be open to a conversation about how you feel. So I think there's an interesting piece here that is this about sexual orientation or is this about masculinity, toxic masculinity? Is it about both or is it about other aspects as well? Yeah, I think the, the key thing that I was looking for is though that what is that awkward feelings? Because to me, it's like, yeah, is it love, sexual interest, intimacy? And, and a lot of people mix those up. And so it's not so black and white. And there's that level of fluidity too that, that you have to look through as you go that based on the, the relationship or the interest. And that, my initial question is like, what, what do they want? And that would be kind of a, where are you wanting this to go given that information? Yeah, I think the other one is the Kinsey scale. This is one that maybe a lot of people may not know. And, uh, you know, are either of you interested in chatting a little bit about the Kinsey scale and letting people know what that might be? Oh, okay. Sure, sure. I'll just, I'll just jump in. Before talking about the Kinsey scale, I want to say that awkward feelings, and I, I would invite this person to explore where in society we learned that these feelings are awkward. I think that's an important piece. So over to Kinsey. So Kinsey had quite controversial research in, in many contexts and an interesting researcher in terms of 
procedure and process, uh, participation, etc. But Kinsey, and there's a good movie, so yeah, you can yes. even watch the movie that it was banned in a bunch of states too, from what I've heard. It was with Liam Neeson, who yes. played Kinsey. So Kinsey had suggested a scale where on one end a male would be completely gay, and on the other end would be completely straight or heterosexual. But Kinsey also argued that a large percentage of the research participants fell somewhere away from those, those polarities. And he identified those as those who would be deemed bisexual and affectionately attracted to other folks. So this is quite a controversial piece because Kinsey also argued that approximately 10% of the population were LGB prior to the TQ plus. So it, it opened up a lot of conversation. I think it made a lot of cisgendered privileged white men very nervous in many contexts because it suggested that we're not necessarily fully one or the other. We can actually be a mix or somewhere in the middle. And I think it's just quite fascinating that- many And that it can shift too. It's not just a nice little locked in at a single point. You could change your environment and your environment can influence some of that as well. Yeah, and I think this goes back really nicely to my dissertation, not trying to plug it here, folks. But so I was, I was looking at men who were married to women with children then came out. And I went in with this bias. They must have known. They must have known. But many of these men were in their 40s to 60s where it wasn't an opportunity to explore and to be gay meant never being able to be a father. So there's all of these factors that play into the binaries of gay, straight, and others that I think is really in need of highlighting. But Kinsey's research, to be, to be specific, very helpful in our understanding of sexuality, but much of the research would suggest that we're well above that 10% estimate from the 60s and 70s. And I think it, it set the foundation of something to build on and expand it on that. And one of the things that I like to teach people or tell people, like the Kinsey Stale was a good start, but I think it, it, it doesn't explain it. And depending on where you read it and what you see it is, it, it just explains that lens. But I have individuals who might have only homosexual experiences given their environment, but they're straight. Or, you know, you have individuals who have only heterosexual experience but they're really fully gay given the context or their environment. And so then the question is, given the descriptors of what the Kinsey talked about, this would be, you know, some experiences, they talk more about experiences and versus the lens. And I tend to break them apart when I teach it to say, as you know, you have your, your relational lens and then your experience and they might not line up. Yeah. And what's interesting here is I've worked with a lot of men who identify as straight but also identify as a male who has sex with men in so many different contexts. And I think we need to be very clear that we've lived in a society for many years where labels help us make sense of things. And for some, labels don't fit. And I think that that's what's really important is that, especially when we work with clients, that we attend to the language that they use as opposed to naming it for them. Sweet. I would also chime in in regards to the awkward feelings. I know I've worked with men before who have had um, feelings and the biggest fear is almost like internalized homophobia. They're very scared of, oh my goodness, if I have more than just a, you know, 
kind of male friendship with another male, what does that mean? Because society's kind of brought us up as either one or the other. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I mean, it doesn't need to mean anything. Maybe he's just this fabulous person that you want to be around. Mm-hmm. How wonderful. And it's more than just like a, a masculine friendship. Maybe you can actually talk about deep conversation stuff and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't relate to sexuality in any which way or form. So it, I feel badly that he has these awkward feelings. Maybe it's just, you know, someone he can really relate to that's just another male. Yeah, maybe a, an opportunity to hand those awkward feelings back yeah. to the, the dominant culture that labeled them as awkward for men to feel. Yep. Always a teachable moment or a learning experience in my lens. So mm-hmm. agreed. So that's a that was a good one. I liked that question. Yeah, I wish him well. Yeah, same. Uh, question number two, gentlemen, are we good? You bet. All right. Um, I'm a 21 year old and my girlfriend is 18. And we started dating a few months ago after working together for a year. I have been out as a lesbian since I was 15 and have never dated or had sex with any men. My girlfriend had many boyfriends in the past, and I am actually her first girlfriend. I can't help but wonder if I am just a sexual experiment to her. Some family members have made jokes about it, and I'm starting to get worried about it. Dr. Ruffley, you're on again. We'll let, we'll let you take the wow. lead on a whole bunch of these. Let me, yes. let me just adjust here because this is quite, <laughs> quite warm. <laughs> there's, there's lots of, of moving parts here. And I think congratulations on, on meeting someone new. And I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm wondering if I'm not sure how her girlfriend who has dated men self-identifies pan by straight who knows the languaging that her partner's using but i'm i'm sensing that amongst you know we can say members of family have made jokes but i think this really surfaces misinformation around bisexuality or pansexuality or sexual fluidity and it it takes me back to my younger years younger as i brushed my hands through my my furrowed santa claus beard is is this notion that I remember there, there was this misperception that you had to either be gay or straight and that bisexuality was not a possibility. And folks, it is. And, and this notion of this humor that you're an experiment really is problematic in many ways because it's infusing fear and worry for this person who may have met a lovely match, a partner, or one of many partners, because remember, not all relationships are monogamous. We have open relations, we have poly, we have many different opportunities. So I don't want to make an assumption here, but it seems to me that some people are, and it's impacting impacting this person to the point that they are feeling worried. And so I think part of our role as sex educators, sex therapists, as therapists in general, is is educating and questioning these kind of paradigms. And so so I think there's an opportunity here for this, this person to have a conversation with her girlfriend about her thoughts, her processes, because intimate relationships are based on communication. And the number one issue in couples therapy or such is communication. Also the languaging of experiment. I find that 
that fascinating in, in, in many contexts. And so I see on one end, the person who asked the question, identifying as a lesbian, never have had sex with men. And now she's partnered with someone who has. So I think there's a natural curiosity there. And that would make sense to me, yeah, too, because I think that experimentation in my lens is worst case, what if? I ex there's a lot of individuals when they're going through this understanding of themselves need to experiment to find out where they actually are and what, what what's going on with them. And so without that, yeah, so my, yeah, my first question would be, and so what if? If it is an experiment because they're trying to understand themselves, that's very different than, you know, an experiment on I'm just kind of putting them onto the onto the spot so yeah and it just makes me wonder why individuals feel the need to joke about this because it's not funny it's causing some discomfort for this person and really we know jokes are a reflection of the person's telling them in many contexts hey what do you think Brandy I think so just in my practice lately I have actually been working with a lot of women who have been married and are now figuring out that they are not heterosexual, either they are bisexual or they are gay, but there had been such pressure for them to conform, to live up to the societal expectation or the social structure that, okay, I'm a, a single white female or these are just the people I've been working with anyways, and I need to get married and have children and get a car and have a house and a picket fence, and this is what I'm supposed to do. I think there's a lot, actually, I'm pretty quite quite sure that there's a lot of women who are just quite bi-curious, and there's not a problem with being bi-curious. And if, I mean, I think that when she says a sexual experiment, that's really negative language to look at. Maybe this girl is gay, maybe she's not, maybe she's bi-curious, but she's got to figure out who she is, what she likes, and what is the worst outcome. Yeah, and I think also, we're all very aligned, yeah. yeah and also, <laughs> what's the best outcome? Yes. Right? For sure. Yes. For sure. So, so yeah. like, I agree with you, Rob. Like, I mean, I was in my 20s when I heard the word lesbian. Like, that's ridiculous. Right, that just that that just doesn't seem quite because we were we're the same age, Doctor Ruffley and I. We have concurred. Oh, and I so, think you're a bit older, actually, but oh, that's okay. That's okay. Age, okay. Age, age was, is sexy. Age right, is but it was very binary. Like, what? How? How crazy is that? I don't know. So people, I think they just have to figure out who they are, what they like, and they can like whatever is on that buffet of sexual, not only orientation, but sexual practices. And sometimes at 18, God, you're still figuring it out. Yeah. And, and we're in a constant state of becoming, right? Yes. I think everyone has this idea that I'm this, but we're in a constant state of becoming, we're evolving. And the more we educate and learn about things, the more we find the nuances and the little things. Because back, I mean, when I was growing up too, it's just like, I don't even know if I heard lesbian, I heard gay and everything, it was all gay. And then there was nothing beyond that, really. And then you start, at, you know, educating and people becoming a little bit more informed. And then we start adding a few new terms because it's building on our knowledge base. And then it, you know, as it keeps kind of going and it really blossomed the last probably 10 to 20 years where, you know, it's become to the forefront. Well, I think it's become normalized. So everybody, whether you be male, female, trans, bi, pan, it's much more normalized and they have that openness and that ability to really figure out who they are instead of feeling like they're stuck in the social structure of what they, what people think they should be. 
And I think I'm playing back with Kinsey stuff because if you look at, if you watch the show and you understand the history, there's a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, most people really don't know what people are doing or, you know, and so, you know, as therapists, we, we see a lot of that stuff of what people are really doing, you know, when they come in and talk about it, but it, it's just kind of shone the flashlight on and really what, what the world is doing. I, I want to add one more quick point that, that I've noticed is that around languaging and perspectives, it's highly intergenerational. And I think we need to be aware of languaging that we've used from one, I'm Gen X, to where um, other generations might be using language differently. So it's really important for us to be curious about language and explore without making assumptions about what that might mean through our lens. And I think adding to that too, I think you know, when we're looking at that generational lens, trying to teach some of the older generations who may not have the language or understanding or experience, they might've had the experience, but didn't have a words to describe it. So it's, it's a great opportunity to kind of go, hey, here's, here's some updating on your well, sexuality knowledge. Yeah, and one last point, Corey, before we move on is we have to remember that one language that's used today, i.e. queer, was used to harm historically some people. And they might identify as gay, whereas a newer gener, a younger generation might be, oh, that, that word's passe, right? So we need to be, there's history and language matters in many contexts. Good point. All right, question number three. Uh, my girlfriend of four years doesn't like to have sex often. She prefers using toys and masturbation rather than having sex with me. It makes me feel inadequate. I try to talk about it with her, but she gets defensive and says she's just not a sexual person. I feel like she doesn't try to let me please her. Help. Okay, so I'm going to jump in and suggest Brandy starts this time. Because I need to stand up because this chair is getting really it's a hot so, so, so Brandy, what would your thoughts be to start? Well, first of all, I would like to know the age of the girl. Right, because there, there's biological, I mean, sometimes there's biological reasons, sometimes there's medical reasons. Is there a medical reason? Is this like a vaginismus issue? Is it painful? Um, is this a relational issue? Are you not actually relating well with your partner? Do you not like the sex you are having? Is this consensual? Are you being manipulated? I mean, my list goes on and on. However, here's what I will say. If she prefers using toys and masturbating, 80%, I believe the, the statistic is 80% of females cannot reach orgasm without clitoral stimulation. And that's just how it is. Those lucky 20% who can, they don't need those things. They can have orgasm just through regular penile penetration, but 80% of women do need that. So maybe she can't reach orgasm just with this and she's embarrassed to use a toy with her partner so much information that I am lacking. The other thing, if she's getting defensive, why is she getting defensive? Is there mm -hmm. pressure from, from him? Asexuality is actually fairly rare. Mm -hmm. You guys might know the stats. I can't bring up the stats on what that is right now, but it's fairly rare. Agreed? Correct. Mm -hmm. So what would be the statistic of asexuality? Oh. Sure, pull that one on me now. I don't have that in my back pocket, but I think it's less than 1%. Okay. And okay. then we look at a biological stuff because I guess the dilemma is how you want to define asexuality because right. that would be a, you know, versus a relational or a, you know, non-intimacy based. So if she's using a sexual toy, 
and I'm going to use the, the actual term of, you know, asexuality, then I would say she wouldn't fulfill that criteria because she seems to be quite sexual. Exactly. So maybe this is a relational issue. Hmm. And I guess the question is define sex often. You know, I have some people that, you know, sex often is, you know, hey, once a year, I have sex often needs like, well, you know, that's, that's three times a day. And so if we're, we need to define, I guess, and know that to know a little bit more on what's going on and to, to help kind of contextualize it. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to chime in here is, is that there's, there's multiple possibilities here. And this is just the gay dude talking here. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but in, in, many of my work with couples, what's not clear here, are toys being used when they're together? And if not, or if yes, is she using the toys? Is she guiding penetration, right? And so going back to dyspronia, vaginismus, there could be pain, there could be a variety of different things. Is there lubrication concerns? Or historically has, assuming her partner is male, has he inserted too quickly? Has foreplay been involved? And, and a lot of things, and when there's a, if there's a history of trauma, sometimes being on top where you can control the penetration, a variety of different things can be at play here. But the notion of inadequacy is something that, again, assuming that the partner is male, this notion of inadequacy is a dominant narrative with men and porn. And is my dick big enough? Am I... Or is it too big? And that might be the issue. And if it's if it's a sexual penetration, like I was just playful, playfully looking at the question and saying is it doesn't say that he's, you know, the, the person is a male. So... It would make a difference to know is, is, are they using sex toys if she's a female with another female and there's sex toys and there's no penetration at all versus penetration. If it's male and, you know, the girlfriend is using the sex toys with no penetration, but he's expecting penetration. We have, again, very different dynamics. And this just helps to emphasize you need to know those details and everyone's going to do something a little bit different. And some of those things will just really give you the keys to that understanding. Yeah, and this this notion of she's just not a sexual person. I would be very curious about how they're defining a sexual person in the relationship because they may have different libido. They may have a different drive, and this may be the partner's language. But this notion of feeling inadequate is, is something that's really important to be addressed because that can be a danger zone of stemming from miscommunication and such. And I guess I would ask this person, what do you need to feel more adequate as a partner? What does adequacy look like? And, and such, and then be curious and make sure that they're on the same page. But I think Brandy was on to something. I would be very curious to know a little bit about her medical history when she had her last physical. Has she had a pap? Is there something happening? Because we often want to rule out medical pieces. So I would refer, if she were the client, to to explore having a, a physical done to rule out any physiological or, or medical concerns. I think we also spend, as therapists, I spend a lot of time balancing or attempting to counterbalance the the sex drives and the handshaking in relationships given what people think is normal or you know what their desire levels and their frequency levels are and so if they're not aligned very well you're going to have potential issues 
Well, here's the other thing I'm going to say, gentlemen, uh, being the only female in this triad here, <laughs> I, I will own the fact, that I, you know, women are a little bit more high maintenance when it comes to sex. And that's just all there is to it. Typically speaking, mass generalization, I realize. However, you may need to look at like your brakes and your accelerators and the context of which this is happening. You know, is, is, a, is your brake being hit? And God bless Emily Nagoski people. I know I keep bringing her up, but for women's sexual health, she's, she's great. But we really need to look at, you know, it's maybe showering is important and the partner's not showering and that's a break. And I don't have to speak <laughs> that. Or maybe, you know, the accelerator that, that the girlfriend requires like more foreplay to be able mm -hmm. to lubricate properly, to be able to have sex is not there. And that's hitting a break for her. We also need to look at context. What needs to be going on? Is there stress from work? Is there stress from children? Is there no sleep? Are we hungry? Like what kind of, what's going on context wise? And when all those three things are taken care of, so the brakes are kind of, you know, put onto the side and we're accelerating and the context is great. Sometimes that can be it. So you need to take a look at those things as well. There are so many variables that we have to consider and people think, oh, sex is just so nice and easy and straightforward. It's like, there are a lot of underlying variables that can impact it. So yes. You're right. And the thing is too, that women's bodies, just because they're having a biological reaction. So let's say wetness does not mean that it's, it is congruent with what's going on in their head. We're, we're difficult beings. <laughs> you yeah. said it, you I said know. it. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you, the more you work in this, the more it's just like, oh my God, this makes so much sense now. So yeah, right. So you just, you really need to be aware and, and it really comes down to, I think, conversation and communication and education. What can I do that's going to make me feel more comfortable, not just with myself first and foremost, but with my partner. And part of being coming adequate is communicating with your partner yeah. about their, what brings them pleasure? What are they into? Having that conversation that most couples don't have. Oh, you're, you're so right. Yes. And it's, you know, I don't know about you two, but working in this, I think my partner's at the point where it's like, okay, I know. <laughs> Please stop educating stop me. Stop <laughs> talking about it. Just do something. No talky talky. <laughs> Right. So it's, um, but it's really, should, should I, I'll, I'll get you a ball gag or something. I'll be a good gift. And like, here, Randy is your, Oh my goodness. I am, uh, too, I'm too pure for this conversation. But I mean, it, yeah. Anyways, I guess we'll just leave that there with me ball gagged. Okay. On to the next question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the image, the image in my head now. I'll see yeah. if I can create a gift for that. Oh goodness. <laughs> All right. I am a 19 year old male that finds himself attracted to men. I wish to completely or at least partially change this in order to live a better life. I want to try this only and solely for myself. I have never had intercourse with neither a male nor a female person. Bob, I'm going to let you go with that one. Hmm. Well, so I want to make sure I'm interpreting this correctly. And I do have a bias as an out queer man <laughs> of... 30 some years. He is talking about, if I'm hearing this, losing or silencing his attraction to men. Is, am I on the same page with you folks? Oh, good question. I was thinking he's wanting to follow it. So it's interesting yeah. how the question can be interpreted. Yeah. Well, I think I think we should we should maybe approach it through my lens because I think this is an important piece. Yeah. That's why I asked you to yeah. kind of touch this one. Yeah. So very, very curious in my mind here, as 
I read these four sentences. And so conversion therapy or silencing of one's sexual desires or affectional attractions I'm, I'm a little triggered here because this was one of my comprehensive exam questions on, on conversion therapy. And having seen the outcome personally, but also having worked with survivors of conversion therapy efforts, we know, and it's actually illegal and banned in many cities, provinces, and countries because we know the harm that it will cause to the point that families will send often their children or adolescents out of country to other areas where it is deemed ethical. And most governing regulatory bodies of psychologists, counselors, therapists have made firm stances against the APA in 2009, did a massive study and such. So I think what's really important here is I'd want to know a couple things, because often when I have clients who are seeking this, this approach is they often have conflicting identities in the intersectionality we call the person. So all of their identities. And often there is some sort of conflict from a cultural lens, such as faith. So I'm often curious around faith, but more importantly, change this in order to live a better life. So what is this person wanting to change and what is a better life? And when I've worked with clients who have been the recipients of conversion therapy, not by me, I want to make that clear, who have sought therapy post-trauma of conversion therapy, I've asked them, what is it that they really wanted to change? And it wasn't their sexual orientation or their gender identities. It was how their families would respond or how their cultural communities would respond. And I think what's really important here is accessing what it is that they want to change, but having that very clear conversation about what is and what isn't ethical and appropriate in this area. Especially considering the fact of it changing is really low. I mean, no matter what, what you do. And so it's pretty much, you know, there's some flexibility from what the research teams is hope, but it's kind of, it is kind of where it is with a little bit of movement. And, and not to mention that many of the researchers who were claiming that conversion therapy or sexual reorientation <laughs> since A, come out, or B, formally apologized for the harm that their research caused the LGBTQ plus communities. And what's interesting is we go all the way back to Freud. Freud, one of his ultimate failures was his attempt to change a young woman's sexual orientation. And if you go to the Freud Museum in Europe, you can actually see the letter that he wrote to the mother apologizing for his attempt to change her daughter's sexual orientation. Very powerful. Hmm. We could probably spend a whole session just on the session. Let me just lay down on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just thinking about the topic, but never mind your head dynamics. So yeah, we have we have our one last question for today. So we do. Uh, and it starts with hey, <laughs> I'm a 20-year-old male. 
I have a friend who is also male. We are very close friends and we've been talking every day for about a year. He shows interest in me a lot, such as gifts, lunch, etc. The way he acts and talks shows he loves me, but I discovered he has a girlfriend. What should I do? Okay, hot seat guy, you're on it again. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm just heart stopper. Has anyone heard <laughs> of that new Netflix show? I've heard about it, but yeah, I haven't watched it yet. I believe it's called Heart. I should know. I've watched it about seven times. <laughs> my my inner gay male <laughs> would have loved to have had that opportunity in high school that that showed up. And so, what the beautiful thing about the show is that there's that the presumption of heterosexuality when, in fact, the jock quote unquote is exploring his bisexuality. And so this kind of goes back to where we were in the first question, if I'm not mistaken. And a nice circular taking us right back to the beginning. Yeah, yeah, is, is this notion that men can show love to each other without it being sexual. And we continue to do a disservice. For instance, when I meet with my male clients for the first time, I'm like, here we are, two men sitting, talking about things we've been told never to discuss. And you can literally see them relax. And so when I look at this, there's there's multiple moving parts here. And uh, you know, as as a, a gay no pun man, intended. So. Yeah, as as a gay man, I have in my young <clears throat> years many of times had a crush or fallen for the token straight dude, which I later learned several were not, and such. But I think what's really important here is that there's also a potential feeling of loss for this person that clearly has emotions for his, his friend and hearing that he has a girlfriend, if this person, if the person asking the question is a gay man, can be heart-wrenching, but it can still be heart-wrenching if he mentioned that he had a boyfriend. So, so interpreting acts of kindness and love and affectional qualities, there's a, there's a possible loss there. And they've been talking every day. So there's obviously, at minimum, an intimate friendship there. I think my first question, well, I had a few questions that popped up when I was thinking about this. And it was like, you know, are, you know, are they open? Like, are they open in this relationship? Or, you know, is that because I've seen cases where they have an open relationship where they might be bi. And so it hasn't kind of come across explicitly. And they're, they're either searching or kind of prompting or probing that one. I've also had cases where, you know, it's, it's kind of leading that way and, and no one else knows. Like, again, you know, does, does she know and is she okay with this relationship and is there transparency? So those, you know, I guess also to watch out for, if, you know, if there's a closeted issue here, so to speak, and it's starting to come out and he might be gay, but is dating or, or breach? Is he attempting to start an affair and, you know, and not let anyone know. And so these are all those little things that I'm doing a lot of, you know, when I'm seeing clients and things to kind of be aware of. So. Yeah, I think there's an interesting piece here in the question of what should I do? And as, as therapists, we don't tell people what to do. We help them arrive at a place of, of possibility. And I guess honoring you can definitely he, make some recommendations yes. Rob <laughs> yeah we can, we can and so honoring how he's feeling I think is really important here because it would appear that he has feelings and sometimes feelings are reciprocated sometimes they're not but ultimately the only way of figuring things out is in a friendship you could have communication 
and ask those questions. You questions. bet. Yeah. Or, or so I, I've discovered you have a girlfriend. Have you ever thought about being with guys? Most straight men I know that I'm in friendships with would not bat an eyelash at that because to have a good friend who's a gay man, many would argue you have to be <laughs> expecting they're often, they're often disappointment disappointed when they say did you ever find me attractive and i'm like absolutely not but you're still <laughs> my friend i love that but again i think it comes back to that piece of if we were in a society where men were nurtured and encouraged to have conversations about feelings i i wonder if this person would even be asking this question. I might be out of a job if we actually did uh, that because then <laughs> there's so many issues that would be get redressed. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's important here is that he honor the feelings showing up and, but spending every day talking to someone is relational. It is a relationship. The question there's a lot of emotional investment into that too. So that would be like, why are you not asking these questions would be my first thing is, you know, at least being able to be transparent and open and yeah. bring it forward. But it sounds like they're there for each other in many ways. What do you think? You know, it's, it's a hard one because if, if the gentleman that he is interested in is heterosexual, it's almost like a, a little bit of a grieving process. Mm -hmm. You know, and even it, if it was a female that he was looking at and nobody likes rejection, no matter what your sexual orientation or sexuality is. And so that he might be going through a, a bit of a grieving process. But I mean, if they're if they're really that close, my suggestion or a, a thought would be or a wondering would be if you're that close and you're talking every day, then are you not having deep conversations? Like, mm -hmm. does, does the one gentleman not know that perhaps you're interested in him or that you, it doesn't say if, if the 20 year old is gay or not gay. So I, I would not make any type of, you know, assumption about that. But if there's feelings, why aren't we talking about those feelings? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. When I talk with men, sometimes it just blunt to say, you know, I understand that sometimes men are kind of like an onion. You got to <laughs> peel back layers, but gently because and it you know, makes you cry. Yeah, I just say you're going to make me cry here, Brandy. <laughs> Not at all, but it's but it's true. Like it takes a lot of trust to from a man to really be able to say, okay, like this is my truth and this is who I am. And women in particular need to be accepting of that so i just wonder if he has this close relationship with this gentleman has he reached that trust level yet where he can open up and he can be honest and say it's kind of where i'm at well i think it's also important it takes a lot of trust to open up but it also takes a lot of courage for men to model to young men and boys that it's okay to have emotions yes yes because they've got social structure going against them. They have biology going against them. Like, and, and you know, there's so much free teaching that has to be done about this. <laughs> oh, so, our jobs are, are for the rest of our lives and keeping going from that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping he can, he can find that courage and that vulnerability and that just within himself to be open and honest with this gentleman that he seems to be really close with. And his his friend's response is not a reflection of him as a no, human being. No. A good summary. So closing, closing remarks, summaries of key points. So yeah. I guess yeah. to start is that there are a lot of key different kind of identities in the title of even the LGBTQ plus plus and to for people to be aware of that. What are some of the other key components or 
takeaways that you'd like to let people know? Mr. Hot Seat? I, I guess several things that have stood out to me today is that we're not always working within a binary and that sex and sex education still needs to go a very long way. And we see this, this perception and with the internet, people are being exposed to sexuality at very young ages. And, and we want to evoke a sex positive approach in our conversations, but also in the conversations we have with ourselves. We talk about communications with patterns, but this thing showed up on Facebook. It was a meme and it said, be careful how you talk to yourself, you're listening. And I really think that often the way we talk to ourselves is how we've been told to talk to ourselves. So sexuality is a curious place to find yourself situated. And if we're in a constant state of becoming, curiosity will really serve us. So, and then be careful what you're looking at attempting to change because maybe you're perfect just the way you are. And I think I want to say, ask, ask questions as we've seen continually, as we've gone even through this whole series is there's lots of information needs to be known to be able to get a good understanding of things and make, make no assumptions along this journey, gather the information, be brave, be bold to go forward in that, or do it in a responsible way. So you don't get into trouble or hurt because in some contexts you might not be able to ask those questions very well without having significant consequences but the information still needs to be kind of gathered and found out. And you're not alone and that there are trained therapists in these areas who can support you. And there's lots of community resources. You're not in this alone. I know how that felt way back when pre-internet dial up <laughs> that horrific piece, but you're, you're not alone. Even though you might feel it, there are others just like you who are navigating interesting waters as well. My takeaway, again, as usual, is always the communication piece, right? That's always a big one for me. I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but sometimes, you know, the label is not definitive of who we are. No matter where you fall on that spectrum, you, if you're just your true, genuine, authentic self, it's enough. Like you don't, sometimes mm -hmm. I really wonder if labels are more detrimental or helpful. And I understand that to fit into something and to identify with something, it can be really, really helpful. But I think, you know, I just go back to this, to the second question about the sexual experiment, like by curiosity should not be a negative thing because she's 18, still figuring out who she is. So I just think, do we need labels? Yeah, and I think the labels help help people have a start, but realize those labels aren't a permanent and that they're fluid and yes. things can change. And it gives you at least an identification of some place to start that might not be like, you know, on that whole full color of the rainbow. So it gives you a place that it's fluid, it can change, and, and that and that it's okay. And being open to that change, because life yep. is dynamic. I mean, I most <clears throat> certainly am different from when I was, I was 18. You definitely sure are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, but it's, it's true. And, but just being open to that and just knowing that life is dynamic and things will probably change, or you might become curious about something or see something or so just, I don't know, open-mindedness, I guess. No. Awesome work guys. Thank you very much. And so we will let you go as we do a wrap up for today. And uh, you guys know if you have any other questions, you can send them over to us through our uh, website and or the links that are attached to this. And 
I would say have a have a good weekend or a week. Take care, guys. Any final conclusions for you guys? Thank you as always. Yeah, thanks for having me.